Well, wouldn't it be great if parenting came with a manual? I know that many authors would love to tell you that it does, and it's their book, but it doesn't because kids are so different. The spectrum of personalities and needs and issues is so wide, no two children are alike. We have five, our oldest is 10, none of them are alike. Different issues, different strengths, different weaknesses, and you can't force them into any type of mold. But we can learn a lot by understanding why family exists in the first place, who invented it, and how the inventor of the family parents his children. Whoever you are, whether you're single or married without kids, married with kids, or a single parent, Whatever ages your kids are, I really believe that God wants to encourage you through this message series and reveal to you how he is a loving father to you so that you can be that to your children, whatever age they are, or if they're coming in the future. You're going to be blessed. I believe that through this series. And so we're going to study God, our heavenly father, and learn from his example together. That's what we're going to do. Because the reality is we're in the process of parenting right now and it drives me crazy when someone who doesn't even have teenagers yet stands up and says, this is how you should parent. Because I'm always thinking, how do you know? You haven't seen where it leads yet. Don't write the book yet. Wait, wait till your kids are grown up. So we're gonna stick to strictly what the word says because I have confidence in that. Parenting is a, a high stakes calling, a high stakes calling. To be a loving parent is to do everything in your power to raise a child who will make wise decisions when age inevitably hands them the reins to their own life. That's what it's all about, isn't it? We understand that at some point, our kids are going to be their own person fully. And we can still have rules, but they're gonna be old enough to break them if they want to. We're not really gonna be able to stop them. And we hope that when they reach that point in life, we've done enough to help them make right decisions. You can hear the heart of our Heavenly Father trying to help his children understand this in the book of Deuteronomy in the Bible. He's urging his children to choose the path that will lead them to their full potential. If you're interested, it's Deuteronomy 30, and I'll be starting in verse 15. I'll just read it to you. I just want you to hear the Father's heart, Deuteronomy 30, 15. He says, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice and that you may cling to him for he is your life and the length of your days and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. You can hear the heart of a father saying, guys, there, there are two ways you can go here. There's life and blessing, there's death and curses. But even God, he respects the sovereignty of the people that he's made. When you think about that, that's incredible. And God says, you decide. You decide. It is not a mystery where either of these paths lead, but you decide. I will not 
force you. This road leads to blessing, this one to curses. And that's what we're trying to do as parents. We're trying to teach our children that life is one choice after another. And wherever we are in our lives is generally the result of every decision we've made in our life up to this point. That's either an encouraging thought or a very depressing thought, depending on where you are in life. And we desperately want our children to grow up to be people who will make decisions that lead to life. That's the challenge of parenting. How do you do that? The principles we're gonna talk about in this series are not the things that Charlene and I are hitting out of the park in our family. We're not here to say, you know, we've perfected it, so we've come down the mountain to share with you, common folk, some insight and profoundity. (laughs) Is profoundity a word? Let's just say this, I'm a pastor, it's a word. These are the big things we're aiming for in our family because this is how we've seen our Heavenly Father parent us as individuals. This is not a 10-step plan for parenting. These are overarching principles that our Heavenly Father has revealed to us in His Word, the Bible, and through the way He related to His Son, Jesus, when Jesus was on the earth. The goal is for you or for you and your spouse to to think through, to ponder, to meditate on these things, to converse with your spouse or the other parent of your child and come up with your own game plan based on what the word of God says. If you're a parent, then you can have this confidence. If you will rely on the Holy Spirit, if you will partner with the Holy Spirit, you will have everything you need to be a great parent. I guarantee that if the Lord has called you, he is ready to equip you through his Holy Spirit for the challenge of parenting. He's put that ability in you. But the truth is, it's only by partnering with the Lord, working with the Holy Spirit, that you can reach your full potential as a parent. That's the only way that you can do it. Do you know who loves your kids more than you? Do you know who loves the kids that you're going to have more than you ever will? Their Heavenly Father. He loves them more. And because he loves them so much, he's gonna do everything possible to make sure that your kids have an amazing mom, an amazing dad. He is for you. He is on your side. He is rooting for you. He is working behind the scenes to equip you. Jesus is praying for you. As parents, he is praying for you. Even though you may not realize that some of you are here this morning because God got you here one way or another because he wanted to encourage you in this area and let you know he is on your side. He's on your side. Just a couple of weeks ago, I shared what the moment was like when my first child, Sydney, was born. And it was so profound because I I understood the concept of unconditional love. Understood it up here. Theoretically, when I held her in my hands for the first time, this amazing little girl that came from her mom, that came from me, and yet it was completely her own person, then I understood what it meant to love someone just because they're your flesh and blood. They haven't done anything yet, haven't done anything to earn love. They're just yours, and there's this connection that is transcendent. And I knew that whatever she did, whatever choices she made in the future, and wherever those choices took her, I would always love her, no matter what, because she is my kid. She'll always be my kid. Do you know that your heavenly father feels that way about you a billion times over? A billion times over. Do you know, I only had that moment with Sydney 
because God gave it to me so that I could have just the faintest idea of the way that he looks at me. That's why he did it that way. That's why Sydney didn't fall from the sky or grow on a tree. She came as she did and ended up in my hands. His love for you is not theoretical or conceptual. It's real and it's passionate and it runs deeper than we could ever understand. And to help us understand how we should relate to him, how we should view him, the Lord created human life around a specific relational structure. He could have created us around any relational structure he wanted, including an infinite number of relational structures that we can't even conceive of because they're completely outside of our paradigm. It didn't have to be this way. It didn't have to be sons and daughters, moms and dads and families. It could have been something else, something we can't even think of. But he chose family. He chose family as the way the human race would be structured and what human life would flow through. And he did that because he wanted us to understand that he loves us like a good parent loves their child and obviously so much more. He wanted to give us a reference point for the way that he sees us. I'll never get over the fact that when we choose to accept God's invitation to come into his family, he says we become sons and daughters in an irreversible adoption. And he's not saying, yeah, I'm fostering you for a while. And if you turn out to be a crazy lunatic child who lights the bed on fire, I'm going to give you back. He says, you're adopted into my family through blood, through the blood of Jesus. And that blood relationship is now there. I've given you everlasting life. You've become a family member of mine. He now loves us because we're family, not because we're trying to earn our spot in the family again every day. We are family. We are family. He wanted us to understand that we're able to come into his family through grace. The kindness Jesus showed on the cross and we're kept in his family through grace. Just as sons and daughters are kept in your family through blood and not behavior, we are kept in the family of God by the blood of Jesus, not our behavior. There's nothing my kids can do to not be my kids. I know they can go and get emancipated if they want to in the court system. Guess what? Their DNA is still my DNA. Their blood is still my blood. On a biological level, they are my kid no matter what. No matter how dramatic they get as teenagers, they'll still be my kids. They can't quit. And I love that the Lord chooses an irreversible relationship to describe what we become in his family. I love that. It makes me feel secure. I'm his child. All that to say, when we talk about parenting, we're talking about something sacred. We're talking about something holy. We're not talking about one more thing on the to-do list. We're talking about one of the most important tasks in the universe. So let's jump in. We'll make three big points. We'll work our way through them today. As one of your kids, or did you, when you were a kid, ever go to mom and ask for something and be told no? and then immediately go to dad and ask the same question and get a yes? Of course you did, every child does this at least once. And then perhaps you remember mom and dad frustratingly arguing with each other while you ate the popsicle that mom didn't want you to have. And this story is a micro version of a macro problem. It's a small example that points to something absolutely vital about parenting. If you're gonna write notes, make a note of this in some way. Unity in family leadership is the foundation of a healthy family. Unity in family leadership is the foundation of a healthy family. 
So let's look at God's example and then we'll bring it down to our practical level. In the Bible, there's a verse in the book of Amos that points out something so obvious it's profound. Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? This is what it means. Can you go on a hike with your spouse if they go left and you will go right? You can't walk together. You're going in different directions. It's asking a rhetorical question to point out the fact that you can't reach a destination with a person if they refuse to walk with you in the same direction. Had God the Father and Jesus the Son not been on the exact same page about Jesus' mission to earth, the whole thing would have been a disaster. Can you imagine if Jesus had just said, ah, changed my mind. Changed my mind. Or he said, you know, you have heard my father say this, but I respectfully disagree, and I'm going to teach this. It would have been a complete fiasco. But they weren't like that. They were in perfect unity. One time Jesus is talking with his disciples in John 14, and he says to them, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. He's telling them, hey, to know the father is to know me but they still don't get it. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. That's the ultimate picture of radical unity to the extent that Jesus can say, you don't need to see the Father because you've seen me. I represent him exactly. We are on the same page word for word on everything. Nothing great can be accomplished without unity in leadership. It's sabotaged from the beginning. The top level has to be in agreement. They have to be in unity. They have to be in harmony. The depth of the love that exists between Jesus and his heavenly father was the foundation of trust that caused Jesus to come to the earth. He trusted that his heavenly father loved him and he trusted that this would end well even if the journey ran through death and the cross. He trusted the father implicitly. That trust and that love is the reason Jesus never bailed on his way to the cross. He trusted the father. Here's how that reality translates into a parenting principle. It can note this. Your marriage matters more than your children. Your marriage matters more than your children. And I know that's controversial, but it, it's the truth. When God put Adam and Eve together in the Garden of Eden, he didn't say, ah, oh, you're now 50% complete. He said, you're good. They were a family when they came together just as Adam and Eve. They were a family. Now, children are a welcome addition to a family. They are a blessing. But children do not complete your family. Your family was made complete in that marriage relationship. That's the foundation that the Lord builds children upon is a healthy and good marriage. Do you know that your children feel most secure when mom and dad are doing well relationally? From just a couple of years old, children can intrinsically detect tension in mom and dad. If you have kids, you know this is true. You know how you know this is true? Because when you and your spouse are fighting or in tension, it always seems like the kids start acting up at the same time and their timing's always horrible. 
secular science even tells us kids are wired so that they know in their brain on a subconscious level, if mom and dad break apart, my world is going to collapse. They know that on an intrinsic level. And so children will act up to get mom and dad to come together, even if it's to discipline them. They don't care. They'll take the beating, they'll take the punishment, whatever mom and dad do, if it gets mom and dad in the same place at the same time. Kids will do that because they want to feel safe. They want that more than they want another sport, more than they want another activity, more than they want a cool pair of shoes. It's very difficult for children to thrive when they're in a state of anxiety and fear, not knowing what the future is going to look like or not knowing if the family is going to hold together. And this is very difficult because when we deal with these issues, our world just wants to alleviate any negative feelings. So our world's solution to this is to just say, no, none of that matters. It doesn't matter if it's mom or dad or just mom or just dad or two moms or two dads or three uncles. It doesn't matter. That's our solution is just nothing matters. And the truth is that this matters profoundly. And I do want to say this. Life happens. Sometimes mom or dad die. They pass away. Sometimes divorce happens for some very, very good and valid reasons. There's grace in those moments. The Holy Spirit moves in those moments. But I want to say the solution is not pretending that it doesn't matter. The solution is saying, God, I need your help to fill in what's lacking right now. If you're a single dad, a single mom, pray that the Lord would send a godly man, a godly woman to be a role model for that kid. Pray into that. Pray for them specifically, and the Holy Spirit will give grace where it's needed. Absolutely. But dads, the best thing you can do for your children is to make mom the priority. That's the best thing you can do for your children. Moms, the best thing you can do for your children is make dad the priority. My kids know. You can ask them. They know I love mom more than them, and vice versa. They know that. I want to be honest. Your kids should know that. That shouldn't be a dirty secret. Do you know that my kids love that? They are comforted whenever they hear that. They don't go, what? I'm not number one. They never, ever say that. And they understand, okay, because all they hear is, okay, this is secure. The foundation's secure. We're good. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, wrote this in the Bible. It's about the benefits of a great marriage partnership. He says, hey, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And here's the benefit of the Holy Spirit. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. When mom and dad are in unity and the Holy Spirit is involved as that third person, man, it will hold the family together through the storms that will come. I hope we're all honest enough to know, man, there will be storms. You can bet your life upon it. And in that moment, you want to make sure your marriage is the priority, the Holy Spirit is in there. You don't want to turn your relationship into just focusing on the kids and think the kids won't notice they'll notice even subconsciously. Science tells us that. They need that feeling of being secure. I'll never forget about 10 years ago, on staff at a church, my first year there, I was in a staff meeting. The pastor shared something his wife had said in staff meeting. I didn't really agree with it, 
So I foolishly said, well, is that your opinion or is that your wife's opinion? He was really gracious to me. He waited till the end of the staff meeting. Then he pulled me aside and he just said, Jeff, it doesn't matter because she speaks for me. We're one. May I tell you, I was speechless. And in that moment, that taught me more about what that actually means to be one in a marriage than anything else. Anything else. She speaks for me. We got one voice. When she speaks, it's as though I'm saying it. When I speak, it's as though she's saying it. It floored me, and they still have incredible unity in their marriage. That's what it looks like. You know, every mom wants to be backed by her husband that way. You know, every dad wants to be backed by mom that way. Dads don't want moms going to the kids saying like, oh, I know what dad did, but let's be honest, dad's kind of an idiot sometimes. That's not what dad wants, you know. Moms don't want dad going like, well, you know, mom could be a bit of a stickler for eating healthy, but you go ahead and have that candy bar. That's the last thing any mom wants. That's undercutting. That's divisive. You know, it's not cute when a child pits mom and dad against each other by asking one and then asking the other. They're a kid, but that's, that's wicked. That's straight up wicked because your kid is sowing seeds of strife into your marriage. That's what they're doing. They're sowing seeds of strife. And kids need to have the fear of God in them over that issue. I mean that for real. They need to know one of you speaks for both of you. There needs to be a unity between mom and dad over things like consequences for behavior. Let me tell you, if the house is divided, it will fall. You can't have dad who gives consequences this way and mom who gives consequences this way. Mom and dad got to be on the same page about that stuff. Otherwise, kids won't feel safe. It's like roulette. You know, hey, I peed and I missed the toilet. What's going to happen this time? Are we going to laugh or am I going to lose video games for a week? Kid can't live that way. That's an unbelievable anxiety. Can you imagine if your job was like that? You go to work five minutes late, you might get fired or you might get a high five. What a horrible, horrible way to live. There's got to be some unity. There needs to be unity between mom and dad on things like what's the priority between church and family events and sporting events, recreational events. What's the priority? You've got to be on the same page about that. There needs to be unity. Dads, your kids need to know that you back mom 100%. They need to know that if they mess with mom, they are messing with you. They need to know you're the muscle behind that lady. If my kids disrespect their mother in earshot of me or in view of me, my goal is to get up and deal with them. Because when you look in your boy's eyes, it's powerful when you say, you don't talk about your mom. You say, that's my wife. And nobody talks to my wife that way. She's not mom, she's your wife first. And you say, I don't care if you're female or male. I don't care if you're two. I don't care if you're a hundred. Nobody talks to my wife that way. So you need to get your butt over there, apologize, and ask for forgiveness. Okay. <laughs> it's okay that they're scared. They should be scared. Because guess what happens then? When dad is not there, when dad is at work, kids will learn Oh, there is a mighty power behind mom that the eye cannot see right now. And he is coming and coming soon. And mighty is his wrath. 
They need to know that. That's how you empower your wife. You get on the same page. But I just tell you, that's just one little tip. There's power. She's not mom when your kids miss her. She's your wife. And when you do that, especially with your boys, you are teaching your boys about the priority of marriage. And they need to learn that. That's important. If you're not on the same page, get on the same page. There's no room for division. The stakes are too high in parenting. Unity and family leadership is the foundation of a healthy family. Let's move into our second point. You know, at this point in our culture, everyone understands the importance of goals and vision. People are crazy about goals and vision. When they're trying to lose weight, they'll find pictures of the kind of body they want so that they can feel disappointed six months later when they don't have it. If it's sports-related, people will try and come up with some sort of metric to measure success. If it's a time they want to beat or a number of repetitions they want to do, people have vision charts and goal boards and Pinterest and in real life. And before the world was made... God knew everything. There's this amazing verse in the Old Testament where he says, I am the Lord creating the beginning from the end. There's no one like me. What it means is God created all of time, everything that's happening now, everything that will happen, everything that's ever happened, he created it backwards. He wrote the end first. He said, oh, I I know how this needs to end. Sons and daughters of the living God around the throne of Jesus, who is on the throne above all thrones. That's the ending. Now we'll work backwards. He put everything backwards. So he began with the end result. He began with the accomplished vision, the accomplished goal for humanity, for the kingdom of God. That's how God created time and the universe and everything. It says this in Philippians 2. This is talking about Jesus. It says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even of the cross. And here's what the plan was before the world was ever made. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus said, that's where it's going to go. The Father said, we're going to do that. That's how it's going to end after your death and resurrection, just like that. God has a plan for you and I. He has a desire for you and I. He has a future for you and I. Speaking of those who believe in Jesus, the Bible says this in Romans 8. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Here's what it's saying. The father knows who is going to choose to follow him. He knows who's going to do that out of their own free will. And knowing that, He predestines them to become like his son Jesus so that Jesus might have many brothers and sisters. You catching what that's saying? Our destiny is to become like Jesus, family members of Jesus, brothers and sisters of Jesus. He's my Lord. He will be my brother as well. It's mind-blowing. I'll give you one more bit of scripture because this topic just fires me up so much. 1 John 3, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. That's God's vision for you and I. That's God's vision for your kids. 
He has a vision for your kids. That is where it's all going. That's the ultimate vision for your children and for my children. So before we do anything else in the area of goals or vision for children, we need to recognize what God's design is for our children, and we need to get in agreement with God's design and say, above everything else, we're going to work for the same goal God is working for for our kids. That's the starting point. We want the same thing God wants for our kids. Practically, that means agreeing that the most important thing for our children is that they move toward becoming more and more like Jesus, more and more Christ-like. Jesus is the goal. He's the standard. He's the model. And that's why that goal should make us gracious, because as adults, we know that that goal is not fully achievable in our earthly bodies. We all fail at it every day. In other words, it's a goal that we move toward but will never realize fully on this side of eternity. If any of you have fully achieved Christ-likeness, then you can be really demanding of your children. However, knowing that you haven't, our own failures in this on a regular basis should make us very gracious with our children, even as they're on that journey, knowing that we fail daily on the same journey but hopefully there is movement toward the goal of Christ-likeness, and we're always moving toward that. Practically, your kids are never going to become more like Jesus if they don't know who he is. They're never going to become more like Jesus if they don't know who it is. It's no different to you and I. We don't just become like Jesus more naturally. If we sit in a chair for an hour, we're not more like Jesus after that hour just because we sat in a chair for an hour. We need a relationship with him. We're changed by spending time with him, time in prayer, time in worship, time studying his word, learning of him. Our kids need us to help them build a relationship with Jesus. They can't become like someone they don't know. So however you need to work that out in your family, work it out so that your kids are coming to know Jesus, that there is time in the word, that you pray together that your kids are around the Lord all the time. Now, Jesus is the foundation for everything, but we can also get more specific with the vision of who we want our children to be in this life. We need to intentionally think through things like, they're gonna have a job and a career at some point. It would be good if they were employable. It would be good if they had a work ethic that would allow them to keep that job. It would be good if they knew how to treat people with respect and honor, even if that person doesn't deserve it. Those would be good things. They're probably going to want to marry somebody one day. Might be good to think through what can we do to help them become somebody somebody wants to marry? Or more specifically, what can we do to help them become someone that someone we will approve of wants to marry? Because someone's going to want to marry them. It's just a question of who. They're going to have their own kids one day. What are they going to see from us as parents that they're going to pass on to their kids? for better or for worse. They're going to have to handle their own money one day. Unbelievably, yes, your teenager will earn money one day. It will happen. And as you think through those realities and think through who you're hoping your child will become, you'll gain a clearer and clearer picture of who it is that you're trying to raise. And then you work backwards from that. That's what the Lord does. Here's the finished product. Now we're going to work backwards. Now I'm going to work in your life every day through the Holy Spirit to move you toward that goal because the goal is established. Parenting, everything changes when you have the clear goal. The goal is not to raise good boys and good girls. The goal is that we want them to become like Jesus, but in this life we want other things for them too. We want them to be marriable. We want them to be employable. 
And then when you have that vision, you can look at their behavior and you can say, that's not okay because when you work for somebody one day, they're going to fire you if you talk to them like that. That's not okay because if you can't handle correction, you're never going to last in any team environment. If you can't hold your tongue, you're going to destroy every relationship that the Lord gives you. As you have the vision, you're able to work backwards in your own children and see this is not going to work if this plays out into adulthood. And let me be clear, you're not trying to raise a robot. You don't sit down and say, oh, I know what I want my kid to be, gorgeous, rich, and famous. You're not playing dress up or dolls with your children or G.I. Joe. You're, You're trying to unfold who they really are and help them realize their full potential in Christ. That's what you're trying to help them do. And when you have a clear vision, you know what you're working toward. You can even talk to your kids in terms of vision. As I mentioned, you can can speak things into them like, hey, there's there's a situation coming in life where that's not going to work. Or hey, if you behave that way, no one's going to want to be friends with you. We explain that to our kids a lot. where We say, you you can't behave that way because if you do that, everyone's going to hear you screaming like a crazy person. And none of them are going to go, that's the kid I want to go play with. That's how the world works. Kids need to understand that. It will take about a thousand repeats of that process. But eventually, I believe in faith, they will understand. And then the big deal is having the foresight to see what behaviors today are going to be problems tomorrow. There are many things that we see in our own kids and we see in a lot of other kids where what my concern is is not that they're doing that behavior as a kid. The concern is what that behavior looks like at the age of eight, at the age of 12, at the age of 16. Where does that lead? A good illustration I heard is it's like if you imagine a a funnel. As your kid gets older, everything is going to become amplified. Their borders are going to become wider. And so if you let a kid speak with a disrespectful tone when they're three years old, that's going to amplify as they age. It's not going to tone down. You realize that age doesn't make you a better person? That, that, that doesn't work that way. It's not like you just get older and you become a better person. Most of us know lots of horrible old people, lots of cranky old people. And I say that because one of the great myths of parenting is that, oh, my kid's a total jerk right now, but I'm sure it'll go away as he ages. Why would you think that? What your kid is going to learn is that it's acceptable, apparently. So I should continue in this mode and this behavior. That's the real danger. The real danger is parents turning a blind eye thinking they're going to age out of that. A five-year-old saying, I won't wear anything except Nike sneakers. You think they're going to age out of that? The shoes are just going to get more expensive. You need to deal with that now and look ahead to where they're going. And so there are things with kids that might seem very meaningless in the moment. But when you look down the road towards that vision, you're able to see, wait a minute, that is the complete opposite of who we're trying to shape our children into becoming. That's not who we want them to be. That's going to sabotage relationships later on. So what you need to do, that second point, is you need to have a vision. You need to begin with the end in mind. You need to begin with the end in mind. Finally, I want to encourage you to aim for the heart. You know, before Jesus came to the earth, God gave man what was known as the law. The law included most famously the Ten Commandments, but hundreds of other laws in the first five books of the Bible. 
And what the law did is it revealed to man what God's perfect standard looked like if you were to try and live it out as a human being on the earth. The problem was nobody could live it out on the earth perfectly. Nobody. Everybody broke some of it all the time, many times over. And when Jesus came to the earth, he taught something radical. He said, hey guys, you've been living under the law for 2,000, 2,500 years. Here's the real deal. The issue is not your behavior. Teaches this in the Sermon on the Mount. The issue is your heart. Every one of your behaviors flows out of your heart. What you believe in your heart. The issues of your heart. You have a heart problem and you will never change your behavior until your heart is changed. Jesus said, that's what I came here to do. I came to give you a new heart. When there's an issue in your heart, it will always manifest in your behavior. That's why when Jesus was asked, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, Matthew 22, 36, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So, so don't miss this. When they said, what's the greatest commandment? What they're expecting is, what's the most important thing to do? What's the most important behavior? Don't murder? And Jesus said, hey, hey, just remember, it's not a behavior that's the great commandment. It's the orientation of your heart. Is it inclined towards God? Is it consumed with loving God? He says, that's the first commandment. The law flows out of that. He says, if you could do that, you would fulfill the law. If you can love the Lord with your whole, whole heart. Jesus doesn't give highest priority to behavior in our lives. He gives highest priority to the condition of our heart. So how does this apply to parenting children? This is, this is huge. Don't focus on your children's behavior. Focus on the heart behind your children's behavior. Don't focus on your children's behavior. Focus on the heart behind your children's behavior, the heart that's driving their behavior. Because when you focus on their behavior and not their heart, when you don't focus on the thing that drives their behavior, you're sending your children a message. It's so easy to do. Here's the message we send them. I don't care about who you are. I care about what you do. I don't care about who you are. I care about what you do. I read this this week. It was so profound. It said, you know, we tend to view ourselves as bodies that have a soul. But the reality is we are souls that have a body. Our soul is who we are. It's going to live forever. And what we're saying here is, man, focus on the part that's going to live forever. Don't focus on the other stuff. Focus on the thing that drives all the other stuff. And let, let's be honest. Let's think about the times when we care most about our children's behavior. And let's be real. Do you know when we care most about our children's behavior? When other people are watching. When other people are watching. And you know why we care so much in those moments? Because we feel that our children's bad behavior makes us look like bad parents. I get it. I'm no different. I'm self-conscious in those moments. I'm a human being. But here's what I've learned. Even in that moment, I should be more concerned about the heart of my child than what anybody else thinks of me in that moment as a parent. And let me be completely real with you. you. If you've been around the church for a while, you know about PK syndrome. It's pastor's kid syndrome. This is heartbreaking. It's this phenomenon of pastor's children growing up to be wildly rebellious as teenagers and young adults. And most of the time, the reason that happens, they figured it out, is that 
mom and dad are pastors in a church, and so they care deeply about portraying the image of the good Christian family, and the kids need to play their role. And what happens is they begin to prioritize the children's behavior over the condition of their heart. And their greatest concern for their kids is, please make me look good. Please legitimize me as a pastor by being awesome. And the kids pick up on that subconsciously. And as they get older, they begin to feel like, you don't care about me. You just care about how I make you look. And how do kids respond to that? Well, they act out. They rebel. They want to stick it to you. They're hurting, so they want to hurt you. You just need to know that's never going to be my kids. My kids are running around wild and you think that's out of line. I don't, I don't care because I'm in it for the long haul. And the most important thing to me is that my kids feel like this is their church home. That's the most important thing, not a place where they have to put on a facade and pretend to be something they're not. So if they sit in the front row and pick their nose one day and worship, then that's okay. I'm not going to stop worship and be like, you're making me look bad. Just put up your hands and pretend. They're never going to do that. But that's true for all of us. Our kids know when we care more about how they make us look than we do about them. They pick up on that. They know that. And as soon as they pick up on that, I guarantee you they're going to start acting out and rebelling. They're going to do that. We don't ever want our children to feel like we care more about their behavior than who they really are. It's the most important part of us, the heart and the soul. It's the part that's going to live forever. So practical examples of this. Your child cuts in front of another kid in the playground or tries to jump the line. When you're just trying to correct behavior, you'll say, you can't do that. Don't jump in the line. But when you're trying to shape their heart, you pull them aside and explain, hey, when you do that, you're communicating to all these other kids that you think you're more important than they are. Do you believe you're more important than they are? That's shaping the heart. That's changing the child's heart, saying, I'm, I'm not concerned that you cut in line. I'm concerned that you think you're more important than all of those other people. That's what we're concerned about. Sometimes you just know that their behavior is being driven by something, but, but you don't know what. But you just get that feeling, man, something more is going on. When you just care about the behavior, you give the consequence, and it's dealt with. But when you care about the heart, the Holy Spirit gives you that prompting. Something's going on. You, you just put all the behavior aside for a minute, and you spend some time with your kid and you ask, what's going on? What's going on underneath all of this? This is not like you. And you go after the heart. You put the behavior aside for a while because the heart is so much more important. The why is so much more important than what they actually did. The why is everything. Then you deal with the behavior. But that tells your kid you care about them. You're not just trying to complete a process. You misbehaved, I disciplined you, job done. It tells them that you want to know, hey, what's going on? This is not like you. As children get older, you don't have the same ability to control their behavior, to state the obvious. So you can have certain standards that you hold to because, for example, it's not okay for one of your children to endanger other members of the family. So you have to have some standards, obviously. But if your child's in a season of rebellion, you, you have to ask in everything you do, how is this going to affect their heart? How is this going to affect their heart? We already have this with, with some of our kids where they make a bad choice and there's a consequence. You're having no video games for the next three days and they, they've just lost it. They're devastated and they do something else stupid. And common sense is, you know, I think if we do one more thing, they will die. So we're just gonna, we're gonna let this rest for right now. 
And we're going to think through what is this going to do to the heart. The goal is not just to discipline. The goal is to change and shape the heart. So you have a kid that's in a season of rebellion. I'd really encourage you to just think through each action. What is this going to do to their heart? Is this just going to embitter them toward me more while they're in the season of rebellion? Is this just going to push us further apart? You have to be so, so careful in those moments to communicate that you care about them. They're already in a season of rebellion. And what they're wondering is, do you care about me or do you care about my behavior? What do you, what do you want fixed? Do you want me fixed or do you just want my behavior to fall in line so that you look like a good parent? That's hard. And I've seen it play out several times. And it's hard because the parents deal with knowing that they're being judged by a bunch of other parents. And there's that pressure of saying like, oh, I just wish their behavior would just fall in line. The best parents I've seen handle that, even in that moment, they shut out everybody else, they pray for their kid, and they're going after the heart. Everything else becomes almost irrelevant. They're just going after the heart because they know when the heart turns, everything else is going to turn at the same time. When a child hits another child, the behavior is being parented when mom or dad says, you can't do that, it's not okay to hit. The heart is being parented when the parent takes the time to find out, why did you think it was okay to hit? just because you were angry. What's going on there? Parent the heart, not the behavior. Success in parenting is not about your kid behaving like a good kid. Success in parenting is raising a child whose heart belongs to Jesus, and then their behavior flows out of that. We're after the heart. When the Lord had sent his prophet Samuel to choose the next king of Israel, many of you know the story, David was overlooked. He was the son that, dad forgot was even missing. Nobody thought he mattered. And as the Lord was telling Samuel to call for David, the Bible tells us what God said to Samuel. He said, the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And the Lord is encouraging us. He's calling us with our kids to say, hey, the heart, everything flows out of The heart, it's the wellspring of life, the scriptures say. That's what the Lord does with us. You know, when we first come to the Lord, he didn't give us a list of changes we needed to immediately make. He said, you can't even change until you come to me. You can't change till I begin to work on your heart. And then over time, over years, we're all still in process. God goes to work, working on the heart, and the heart drives our behavior. The heart drives everything. He gives us a heart that has new desires. In closing, I want to say this. Mom and dad, mom or dad, you cannot fulfill your potential as a parent outside of a genuine relationship with God. You can't do it. We're all lacking in one way or another. If you're a healthy, happy marriage, there's still areas that you're lacking in without the Holy Spirit. If you're a single dad, a single mom, divorced, or there's been death, can't do it without the Holy Spirit. None of us can do it. But if you'll partner with the Holy Spirit, he will make up what we lack in his strength. I promise he will because he who called is what? He's faithful. He's faithful. And whatever your fears are in parenting, God is greater. Whatever you feel like you're lacking, God is greater and God will provide. But we need God in our parenting. We need that the most important area for you to lead in is your spiritual life. That matters more than anything. Your relationship with God. How are you going to have a godly marriage if you don't have a godly relationship with the Lord? How are you going to have a 
godly family, if there's godlessness in your marriage, it flows from the top down and it starts with your relationship with the Lord. And if you want the best for your kids, I, I want to encourage you, don't miss the next two Sundays. Make an investment in your family. Make an investment in the future of your family and in your kids. Commit that you're gonna be here for the rest of this series. Make that investment in your family. You will never ever regret putting your family first, ever. You'll never regret that. Three things we talked about. Unity in family leadership is the foundation of a healthy family. House divided cannot stand. How can two walk together unless they're in agreement? Be in agreement on everything, mom and dad. Begin with the end in mind. Have a vision for your children and work backwards. Don't focus on your children's behavior. Focus on the heart behind their behavior. That doesn't mean they get a free pass. It means that as you're dealing with their behavior, the emphasis is on the heart and what's going on in the heart. Trying to change the heart, not the behavior, knowing that the heart drives the behavior. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Let's pray. And I just feel especially led this morning just to pray for grace for parents. So if your kids are older or everything is good, then, then you just pray with me. And I just want to pray for us. Father, I, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for every parent in this room, every person who's going to hear this message who, who feels like they're lacking or insufficient in some area. God, we want to be honest and just freely admit that we all are. We all are. And if we weren't, then we wouldn't need you. But we do need you. We need you desperately. Lord, you're the one who knows what our children were created to become. Uh, you know the fullness of potential that you put inside of each of them. And God, as parents, we just don't want to mess that up. We don't want to settle for anything less than everything you made them to be. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus just for grace to be released for any parents who feel overwhelmed by the task or, or fearful, Lord, would you fill them with the peace of knowing that you love, you love our children more than we do, that you're rooting for them more than we are, that you want the best for them more than we can, that you're rooting for us, Lord God. May our confidence not be in our amazing parenting skills. May our confidence be in you and that you love our children, God. May we rest in that and have peace in that and wake up every day full of joy over the privilege of being called to partner with you in what you're already doing in the lives of our children, God. Thank you that this is a partnership and none of us are alone in this task, Jesus. Father, I pray that you would help us to be in unity as families, as parents, Lord. Pray that you would help us to speak with one voice and to be consistent Lord, I pray for any families that are divided for any reason that you would give grace there, that you would protect children from any division, you would bring comfort, and that you would do great and merciful things even in difficult circumstances. Lord, help us to honor our wives. Lord, help wives to honor their husbands, especially to our children, Lord God. May we represent you well to them. Lord, may we have a vision of our children that lines up with the vision you have for them. And may we parent toward that, not what anybody else thinks our children should be, but what you made them to be, Jesus. Help us to shut out all the other voices that are just noise. 
And Father, I pray that you would help us to parent the hearts of our children. Thank you that you don't weigh us down with legalism. You said your yoke is easy, your burden is light. You're not a God of endless rules, you're a God of relationship. And your word says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Lord, would you strengthen our relationships with our children, God? May they know that we love them and we care about them so much more than their behavior. That we care about their heart, about who they are in the deepest part of them. Lord, even as that's true for us, would you help us to parent in a way that makes it true for them? That it would be the reality of our children. That they would be confident in our love and that it doesn't rest on their behavior, but on who they are. They're our sons, they're our daughters, Lord. Thank you for modeling that for us. Thank you for loving us that way. Thank you for the chance to hold children in our arms for the first time. Thank you for the chance to realize that you love us like that, more than that. Even as we worship in this coming time, Lord, would we just find peace and rest all over again and joy and release in knowing that we belong to you in an irreversible relationship, Lord. We love you and we bless you for your kindness and your goodness to us. Thank you, Jesus. Just stay in this attitude of prayer. There's communion available in the back if you want to take that. I just feel like that is the Lord's word for us as individuals to rest in the fact that we are his sons and we are his daughters. It is not behavior driven. His love is unwavering is unwavering. It never changes. It's not seasonal. It's constant. He does not change. Well, thanks for taking this time to listen and be in the Word of God with us. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to our website, mynewhope.ca, right now. When you get there, you'll see a graphic on our homepage that says the gospel. Click on that and you'll be able to watch a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing right now. So stop whatever else you're doing, go to mynewhope.ca and click on the gospel. If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. Shoot us an email at info at mynewhope.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through his word. If you're in the greater Vancouver area, I want to invite you personally to come and be a part of New Hope Church. We believe God is doing something real special as we grow together in our faith and love for Jesus, and we would love you to be a part of it. And finally, if you'd like to support the Bible teaching ministry of New Hope through financial giving, you can also do that through our website. Just go to mynewhope.ca slash give. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being in the word of God with us. And always remember, God is with you.